Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Warren Lubavitch, co-founder and CEO of Equity, an employee compensation platform that's raised $19 million in funding. Warren, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. So before we begin talking about what you're building there, let's start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background. Totally. So I'm originally Canadian, now American. I grew up in Toronto. I went to the University of Waterloo. I'm a product and design person. I worked at some companies that were crazy cool back in 2008 like Sony, BlackBerry, had a blast there, and then dove into the startup world. And so I spent a bit of time starting my own companies, or I guess I should call them projects because I think a company takes on a different kind of form, but starting my own projects, built a couple of Android apps, and really it was always in product and design. I eventually made my way to the Bay Area where I joined as one of the early designers at a very small Series A startup called Refresh. And about a year into that, we got acquired into LinkedIn. And when I joined LinkedIn, I kept making this joke to everybody, which I now see how obnoxious it was a couple of years later. But I kept saying, hey, I'm still a startup guy. I'm going to be here for exactly 366 days, and then I'm on to the next startup. And the joke was on me because I wound up sticking around at LinkedIn for about four years. I absolutely loved it. And I spent most of my time managing the design team that works on the homepage newsfeed thinking about content, creation, consumption. And then I left to get back to the startup roots. And it was my first or I guess second foray into HR tech where I joined a company called Jumpstart where I led product and design there for about a year before I got tagged in to co-found Pequity. And so Pequity, I know we'll get into a little bit later, but it is, it's a compensation SaaS product. It helps you run all your compensation workflows. It's really intended for the kind of upper mid-market, small enterprise folks, and with proactive pay equity built in and infused throughout it. So we're about three and a half years into Pequity now. We have a team of about 45, and it really is the best job I've had yet. Nice. That's amazing. And to double-click on some things you mentioned there about your history. So let's talk about LinkedIn. I'm sure that was an incredible experience. I'm sure you learned a lot there. What would you say is the number one thing that you walked away with? LinkedIn was incredible. It's funny. It's actually hard to distill it into one thing. And I think I could if I really tried. I'll kick off with a few things I feel like I walked away with. One of them was an understanding of what a really strong culture looks like and how to keep that infused, you know, as you were building out your own company and and not just make it a poster on a wall, but make it something that you actually live and breathe in and a continuous practice. And then another one is compassionate leadership, which is something that Jeff Weiner used would still, I think, to this day, talk about a lot. And it fell into some, you know, some things about how you give feedback and really how you run meetings and how you go about your day-to-day work. But the one thing that I really took away from it is I, especially coming from a startup, I felt like I knew a lot about design and, and I seemingly did it well. But I got to then be surrounded by just the most incredible designers, about 300 of them when I joined LinkedIn. Wow. And I feel like I got the kind of design master class or pseudo master degree that I didn't know I needed until I got it. 
Nice. That's amazing. And two other questions we'd like to ask, just to better understand what makes you tick as a founder and entrepreneur. What CEO do you admire the most and what do you admire about that? So as hinted in my earlier response, I think the CEO I admire the most is Jeff Weiner. He leads with compassion. He's such a bright person. He was the person who came into LinkedIn and took them from kind of this scrappy startup into this really viable business. And one of the tenets of how he ran the company was with humor. And I'm a big believer. I know that, you know, with my age bracket, I missed the mark on on being a, a Gen Z. And I respect that there's a group of people who kind of stand up and put boundaries on their time and their efforts and their work. And the reason why they do that is because you're expected at this point in time to put so much of your life into work, right? And so there's, I think there's a very fair expectation where I know that, you know, we millennials don't always have this, but there's an expectation of, hey, work has to be great and it has to serve me and it has to be fulfilling. And I feel like Jeff Weiner understood that and provided that for his company even before it was an expectation or, or popular. Nice. That's a good call out. And what about books? Uh, Non-LinkedIn related here. What book has had a major impact on you as a founder? And this can be a business book or a personal book as well. Yeah. So I know that you and I were joking about this a little bit together, but when it comes to books for me, I typically start them because I want to learn from them and I want to dive in and get all the, the golden nuggets out of them. And my favorite books are the ones where it's less about the content and less about the overall takeaways, more about the feeling that I wind up getting where it just it's like a quick epiphany in a sentence or a paragraph that winds up driving some sort of action or future strategy for myself. One book that comes to mind is How to Decide by Annie Duke. So Annie Duke is a former professional poker player. And I think that that would qualify her more than anybody to be able to talk about decision making and making split second decisions and quick frameworks to think through it. And there was one one piece in particular that stood out to me tremendously, which is this concept of resulting. So if you would ask somebody, hey, you made a decision, like let's say, let's talk about moving to a new state. So let's say we're based in San Francisco and we decide that we're going to move to Pennsylvania, for example. Let's say we move there and we realize, hey, we don't have any friends here or it's not what we thought or it's too cold and I don't like the weather and it's overall, it feels like I didn't make a good decision. When you look back at the original decision of moving to a new city, was it a good decision or a bad decision? And most people would look at that and say, well, it was a bad decision because it had a bad outcome. But that's actually not the way to think about decision making. You make a decision with the data you have, and then there's an outcome based on that decision. Now, if you knew, hey, this place is cold and I, I really don't like the cold, or nobody my age is there, nobody you know, in my industry is there, but I'm going to move there anyway because I feel like it, then yeah, it might be a bad decision. But if you do the research and it's like, well, actually, this is an up and coming tech little bubble over here. There are people our age or people we want to be friends with. We have family nearby. We have this, we have that. And we still don't like it. It might have been a good decision with a bad outcome. And so for me, that's something that guides how I make decisions going forward is there's a very big difference between a decision and an outcome. And you can't base the quality of a decision exclusively on that outcome. Wow, that's fascinating. I know what I'll be reading this weekend, so thank you. <laughs> if you pick up any golden nuggets, feel free to, to drop me some too. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, let's talk about the origin story behind the company and, and tell us a bit about your co-founder. 
So the very interesting and I think unique thing about Pequity is that my co-founder is also my wife, Caitlin Knopp. And she is a really big reason, if not the reason why we started Pequity together. A little bit of background, you know my background now, product and design for a long time, a little bit of exposure previously to HR SaaS. And Caitlin was and is a compensation expert, and she was a compensation manager for pretty much her whole career. She got a master's in HR. She wound up at Lockheed Martin in an HR role. She then spent four years at Google on their HR comp and beds team as well, where she saw what a really well-oiled comp machine could and should look like at Google. After about four or so years at Google, she wanted to dive into a smaller company and see if she can influence a comp program from the early stages. So she joined Cruise Automation, which, Brett, you being in San Francisco, I'm sure you're familiar. Yep, of course. Yeah, so for those who aren't, and by the way, I, I say this because we're, we've been spending more time in Pennsylvania and New York and Toronto, and people go, Cruise, I don't know what that is, but it's a self-driving car company I believe that it is owned by General Motors, I think. And so she joined as employee number 180. And when she joined in, they, she was tasked with, hey, create a comp program in just a couple of weeks. They were moving really fast. Their goal is to grow, I think it was 2x quarter by quarter, which is just an insanity goal for anybody who is growing a company and hiring people. It's a tough thing to do. They did it. A year and a half in, they wound up growing to about 1,500 total employees. And I think they're well past that now because it's been a few years since. But Caitlin had to, or she built that pay program. She actually snuck a software engineer onto her team to help with connecting the applicant tracking system into you know, pulling data from there, pulling data from the HRIS. Because to make comp make sense, you need both candidate data and employee data. And most ATSs are focused on just the candidate data and then HRISs are focused on just the employee data. So you really needed to build something custom. And her solution was spreadsheet-based with, I think, you know, some app script involved and a little bit of Zapier thrown in there as well. For those who, who are hearing these terms for the first time, we use it on the daily in HR SaaS. ATS is an applicant tracking system. So to list off a couple popular ones, Greenhouse, Lever, it's essentially the portal where you run your candidate process through and then eventually make offers to them as well or host your job posting boards, for example. And then HRIS is Human Resource Information System. So the most popular ones I can think of off the top of my head are Workday, ADP, Bamboo HR. And that's where you house all your employee data, their benefits. And yeah, that's mostly where all your employee data lives. And so after Cruise, Caitlin decided to get into consulting. She tried to take a break, but her break was consulting. And it turned out that her network of HR leaders that she met across all these other companies before had then dispersed and landed as heads of HR or heads of people at all these other companies across the Bay Area, New York, you name it. And they called her and said, hey, can you do what you did for me at Cruise? Or can you repeat what you did at Google? And come in, we'll pay you $20,000 for a couple of weeks of work to get that up and running. And they knew it was going to be a spreadsheet deliverable. So the funny thing is at the time, Caitlin was also convinced that she wanted to start her own company. And she was also convinced that she wanted to do it with me, which I was still on the fence of because I had not really operated in a family business environment before, but Caitlin had, she grew up in that. And we tried a couple of funny things. Like we actually opened a pop-up bakery in San Francisco on weekends while we were still working full-time. And that was both a blast and terrifying at the same time. 
I could tell you that I'm probably the worst front of house person I've ever come across. And I'm sure other people who have, <laughs> who came over to our bakery. We also started a couple different projects, some marketplaces. And after Caitlin did about 20 of these consulting projects, she came to me and said, hey, I know we've been toying around some different business ideas. And I think I have one that we really need to dive into. And she brought me through the process. She walked me along. She told me she was up to. And I couldn't believe that something like that didn't exist yet. And I kept asking questions going back to ATS and HRS. I was like, well, why doesn't it live there? Why doesn't it live there? Why doesn't this exist? And she had all these amazing answers. And, and really, the reality is, is that right now, or I guess at this point, this was three years ago, but there were really only legacy tools that didn't do it particularly well or were super rigid or spreadsheets. And those also broke. So I more or less immediately quit my job at the time where I was leading product and design at a small company where we had just raised a Series A and decided to dive headfirst into it. We actually met our very first engineer on Reddit where Caitlin reached out the day that we decided we were going to do it. She reached out to Reddit in the, I think it was like the for hire subreddit and just said, hey, we're working on a comp project. Anybody interested? Somebody reached out from Romania. Her name's Iona or Io as we call her. And the crazy thing is that's been three and a half years. She's our very first engineer and she's still with us and, and loving it too, which is super cool. Wow. That's amazing. Some follow-up questions there. How do you deal with conflict? Uh, you know, let's say that there's, <laughs> uh, how do you, you know, not have that ruined dinner with your wife and, and vice versa? You know, how do you have personal issues not cross? Yeah. Over? Yeah. So Caitlin is, is the strongest communicator I know. I can't claim that I am even, even close to the communicator that she is. When something that's been funny with us is that whenever we took every step in our relationship, we would have this contract that we would actually sign together. We'd write out and sign it. So when we moved in together for the first time, we, Caitlin brought up this idea of a contract and she said, hey, let's disarm the nukes. Let's write out what'll happen, like what we'll do. Let's say we break up. What happens? Who moves out? Who stays? Do we both move out? What do we do here? You know, if we break up because of this reason, because of that reason, how do we solve that in advance? And that way we have a, essentially an action plan for if bad things happen. And so we did something very similar with the company where we know, and going into it, we had this thought of what if it gets in the way of our relationship? What if it's something where one of us isn't performing well? What if one of us does something personally that then impacts the professional side? And so we, we have quite literally a contract and an action plan for how to resolve any of those issues. Wow. So any cheating, you automatically lose. Yep, pretty much. <laughs> exactly. What's the other husband-wife team? I think it's, is it Canva? It might be Canva. I think Eventbrite is a husband-wife team. The interesting thing is that it, now that we're doing it and we're, we're getting more exposure to other founders, we're seeing that there are more people who, who do it. Mm -hmm. It's something where it's the best thing that I've ever done and I feel like we've ever done. They do tell you when you're looking for a co-founder, it's going to feel a lot like a marriage, right? It's somebody who you have to trust tremendously. You have to have just the deepest and open, most open communication with. And for us walking into it, we're like, hey, we actually have all that already. Now <laughs> let's just figure out the whole working together thing. That, that should be, most people have to go and figure out how to work with total strangers. Let's see if we can crack this. And it's been super rewarding, super fulfilling. And one thing that's really nice, Brad, I'm curious if you ever experienced this in the past, is in some relationships, you may be with somebody who doesn't really understand 
what you're doing or why you're working so hard or why you're pulling the, the late nights and weekends to bring something to life. And with Caitlin and I, there's no question, you know, when it was two in the morning and we wanted to go to sleep, we both knew why we weren't going to sleep, right? And it was because we were building equity or because we had something we wanted to solve or because we had this idea and we just had to solve it that night. And there was no, yeah, I guess that there's no misalignment or misunderstanding into why we're prioritizing working so hard and we got to do it together. Yeah, my uh, fiance and I joke, or I, I joke, I should say that, you know, it's like dating a civilian. Uh, she's an entrepreneur <laughs> as well. And you know, this relationship <laughs> worked very well because of that. Because, you know, she gets it, she understands it. We can yeah. talk about problems. And, you know, when I dated civilians in the past, yeah, they just didn't get it. They didn't understand like the pain that you know, we have to go through day to day sometimes. And I, of course, understand their pains that they have to deal with. Exactly. I do find that I think entrepreneurs pair well together. And sometimes they pair really well when they're working on the same team, other times not so much. But I also find that investors and entrepreneurs understand each other too. So most of the investors I know are coupled up with entrepreneurs or other investors. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Now let's dig a bit deeper into the actual product. So when we're looking at your customers who are paying you today, how would they articulate the benefits that they get from your platform? So Pequity is really made up of, I'd say, three core products. We have some periphery around it. But the way that I like to talk about it is that it's compensation solutions for modern enterprises. So whether you're looking for a streamlined comp process or guidance on pay strategy, something that we have that's really unique is we have the software coupled with the expertise to help make sure that your company has whatever it needs to succeed. So I know that that sounds a little bit vague, but I'll kind of dive into each one of these. So we have our three core product offerings are ranges, which is building, maintaining, sharing ranges with robust permissions, like your pay bands, for example. And then offers, which is all about giving recruiters the right data at the right time so that they can make the best, most competitive, but also most fair offers to candidates. This also includes some really, you know, like nifty visual offers that have branding built in as well. And then there's comp cycle management, which I would say is what people think of first when they think of compensation. It's how you run your merit cycles, your promotions, and and things like that. And what we're doing is taking all these processes and really infusing design into it so that it doesn't feel like this outdated, black boxy, I don't know what's going on. I can't remember how to use this thing experience, which I definitely felt as a hiring manager in the past, but more so an experience that managers love where they have proactive pay equity built in. And then for companies that want, you know, either a second opinion or maybe they, not necessarily that they don't have in-house compensation expertise because they typically do, but it's usually one or two folks and they want to talk to Pequity who we have teams that look across the entire market and are able to say, well, actually, here's what we're seeing across the market with comp and we can tell you whether or not your ranges are competitive. We can tell you whether or not strategies are likely to resonate or not resonate and we can help you essentially execute on your comp strategy way faster and with a lot of insight that you wouldn't otherwise get. Interesting. And what's the trigger for customers? Does that have anything to do with like the pay transparency laws that keep coming out or what's triggering them to start looking for a platform like yours? I do think that that's kind of a new trigger and it is one trigger where they see the pay transparency laws, they know they have to report, but they're not really sure what to report on. So that's definitely one in. I'd say that the biggest trigger though is that most of these companies are still using either very legacy software or spreadsheets. And the ones that we talked to are using spreadsheets because they have 
such unique and flexible compensation and pay programs Mm -hmm. that existing tools just can't possibly handle it. And when they do, there's a lot of custom work. It's very rigid. Managers are really confused or planners are confused when they use it. And that's where Pequity really thrives is that we built it from a user experience mindset and flexibility mindset first with comp expertise baked in. And so they come to us because they have a a process that works in spreadsheets, but it only works for a really short time and it breaks down really easily. And so they're looking for a process or a product to help them continue to grow their comp programs across ranges, offers, and comp cycle, but to meet the flexibility that they expect or that they need for their, uh, you know, mid-market or small enterprise or even large enterprise employee base. And how do you convince them to give up the spreadsheet? And you, especially a company that's <laughs> on them for so long, what are you saying and what are you communicating to, to get them to make the jump? So it totally depends on which product they're looking into. But when it comes to, for ranges, for example, they have to really strictly permission who sees what comp data. Comp data is really sensitive. Right. You don't want your employees seeing the hiring manager's pay range or even their or, or their pay, especially. And so when you think about ranges, they're able to put their data into one place once and then they set the permissions for whoever needs to see it once. And then everybody gets it when they update their ranges, which they will inevitably do because pay is becoming so much more, I think, fluid as people are leaving these, or I guess as they left these metros over the last couple of years, they're starting to come back. They're still going. And there's a lot of confusion of what should I be paying these people? What's competitive? I don't know. And how do I disseminate this information across my company in the best way possible? And so normally what they'd have to do with spreadsheets is they would, yes, they would have the flexibility of a spreadsheet, but then they'd have to make 500 different spreadsheets for the different people who need to look at it. And when they update their ranges, they have to do it all over again. And that's just such a pain. And so with Pequity, they do it once. And whenever they update it, everybody sees only what they should see. And so that right there saves them months of work, which is just a huge sell. And it, it directly correlates to time and money saving. So that's, yeah, that's with ranges. Comp cycle is the same thing where they want to be able to use a tool because they want their managers to have a wonderful experience. If you ask most hiring managers and comp planners at companies how they feel about their comp planning tools, they either don't care or really dislike it. And so what comp teams really want is for their managers to feel like, hey, I know what to do here. I know how to make decisions. I know how to collaborate. I know what I should be offering this person. And I know why. And that's what Pequity offers. And it offers the flexibility of the spreadsheets or the uniqueness that they're used to. But it's in it's all in a software that they can really have the control that they need over that. And then with offers, there's this kind of funny tension between talent or recruiting and comp, right? Where talent wants to close the best candidates possible. The best candidates are expensive. And then the comp team is looking out for the company saying, hey, we, we set a budget and we can't go over it. So even though this person's asking for more, we built ranges for a reason and, and we want to follow those. And a lot of why there's tension is because the recruiter is not given access or doesn't have access to the comp data that they need. And it's not just the ranges, but it's also, well, how does this compare to people who are already enrolled? It has this compared to market data. And that's what Pequity offers is the ability to bridge the gap there and also just generally reduce pay errors, like accidentally bringing somebody into the range of San Francisco when they're living in Nebraska. And this is probably a dumb question, but who does the compensation team report to? Is it HR or the head of people or is it the CFO in finance? 
That is such an amazing question. Funny enough, we've seen both. I think what's most common is that comp would report into HR, but we have seen comp report into finance too. And, and comp does bridge that line or straddle the line between HR and finance. Makes a lot of sense. How big is a company when they start to have a dedicated compensation team? Is there like a, a size range where it starts to make sense that you see? Yeah, I think so. I think that from what we see, at least with our customer base, we see on the early side, it's around like 100 to 250. But we see it become a very big pain point necessity around 300 to 500. And that's where you start bringing in real comp expertise. Got it. Makes sense. Can you share with us any numbers that show the progress and growth and adoption that the platform is seeing? Yeah, yeah, I can. I think this past year, even with 2022 being kind of a funky year, we still more than doubled growth and doubled revenue. And the year before that, being a very exciting year, we 8X'd our revenue. Wow, that's impressive, especially given everything that was happening in the, the tech ecosystem last year. Yeah, 2022 was a very fun year to be a founder. <laughs> How's 2023 for you so far? We're only uh, a few weeks in. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's off to a really good start. We, we are still seeing some funkiness in the market, right? Where we're seeing massive companies go through these really big layoffs. But the weird or the interesting thing is that they're actually not slowing down too much on hiring. So they're, they're going through less, but they're still hiring. And even still with Pequity, we were very intentional about building across really all compensation needs and every company always needs comp solutions. Mm -hmm. So whereas in 2021, when offers were you know flying off the shelves, that was really the product that we were highlighting was, hey, check out offers, check out ranges this is going to help you a lot. And then 2022, 2023 is really the year of comp cycle and ranges, which is, hey, we have employees, we want to retain them. We want to make sure that they feel valued and that we're, if you think about comp, which is attracting, retaining talent, that being really your, your mission and your goal, 2022 and so far 23 are focused more on retention. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. And talk to me about market categories. I know we touched on ATS and a few others there. Yeah. Think about your market category. Are you transforming the existing one or creating a totally new one? Yeah, so we're creating a new one. The way that we're, or what we're calling it, it's compensation tech or compensation SaaS. And in particular with Pequity, I think the unique thing about us is if you think about like SaaS software as a service, we take it one step further, which is software and a service. And so we really are pioneering this compensation tech environment where we got questions all the time, Brett, when we were raising our early, our early fundraising rounds, where it was, the question is, what differentiates you from an ATS? What differentiates you from an HRIS? Why are people going to take their budget and put it in that? Are you creating new budget that you need to find? Or are you taking budget from other places? And the honest answer is, is that every company needs compensation software. And some HRISs have little bits and pieces of it, but it doesn't really do what it needs to do. Some ATSs have little bits and pieces, but again, neither of them have the visibility into each other's realm, which is for the ATS, they don't really have visibility into employees. And for the HRIS, they don't have visibility into candidates. And so companies are recognizing that they're already spending all the money on comp consultants and on their comp team and on these range creations and builds. And they're spending a lot of money and they're able to actually save money by going to products like Pequity, which is going to do it all for them for a much cheaper price point. Interesting. 
And what have you done, would you say, to really rise above all the noise in the market? I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but I think it was like 15 or 20 billion raised by HR tech startups last year. Yeah. yeah. How are you rising above all that noise? Yeah. It's been a really exciting couple of years for HR tech. I actually think it's exciting. A couple of years ago, some of the early investors that we spoke to were like, oh, I don't know, HR, I, I don't know. And then the pandemic hit and suddenly it's the hottest, it's the hottest market. And the way that I think about it personally is if you're not in a highly competitive market, I think it's worth reassessing if the market's big enough and if you're actually going to be able to make a dent. But really what we focus on is we're just focused on building the best products and providing the best service possible for our customers. And that does show. So in an environment where there's a lot of competition, where there are a lot of, a lot of new faces popping up and, and saying, hey, we do all this stuff. For us, one thing that we pride ourselves on is really the integrity of the product that we offer, right? And so we don't oversell. We, <laughs> we really do want to just provide an amazing experience. And frankly, between you and I, I think we can probably oversell you know, even more just from making sure we're not leaving value on the table for customers visiting our marketing site or asking about what does Pequity do. But we want to make sure that we just wildly exceed their expectations. And at the end of the day, we have had customers go to competitors because Maybe it's a tad cheaper, but it's not really a premium product. Or the competitor says that they can do something that they actually can't do yet, that Pequity can, and they were able to sell it for a lower price point. But they've come to Pequity at the end. like They churn off of the competitor and come to us. And so we've seen that as a, as a winning strategy to date, which is just like be ruthlessly build the best product possible and just be amazing to your client base. And they'll eventually come to you. Where did you learn that obsession over product? Did that come from LinkedIn or do you think you just always had that? I do think that LinkedIn fine-tuned it. I think that some of the other product experiences helped with it too. And the, the funny thing that I attribute it to is I actually think that B2C products do the best job at this, right? B2C feels amazing. You cannot launch a B2C product that doesn't just feel incredible and have all these delight factors. But for a very long time with B2B, you can launch something that kind of feels like crap and it was okay, <laughs> right? And you can still charge an insane price point. And one of my personal missions as, as a product and design person has always been make B2B feel like B2C. And so that's something that we strive to do at Pequity. It's something that I've wanted to do in most of my career stints as well. And it seems to pay off where... Like when you focus on design and you focus on products and really what it comes down to though is I think it's really focusing on, the, on what the customer really needs and what's going to absolve their pain points. And when you talk to them, even though they don't, I think, directly ask for it most of the time, they do want a product that feels really good because what they're used to is Netflix and Instagram and all these wonderful experiences. So why should it be that when they're spending eight or more hours at work, it just feels like crap and it's clunky. It doesn't do exactly what they want to do, but they're paying way more money than they do for their other tools. It just doesn't really make sense. And so that's the angle that I personally come at it from. And, and I think we attract like-minded people to join the team who really want to blow customers away with the product. Nice. That resonates a lot with uh, what we preach to clients and what I, I preach to my team is, yeah, if we want to be good at B2B marketing, let's study B2C companies that are crushing yeah. it. That's the place to learn, not from yeah, another B2B company who's just you know, doing the same playbook. So resonates exactly. a lot. Exactly. Now, last question here, since I know we're up on time, let's zoom out into the future three years from today. What's the company look like? So our mission 
from the very second that we started Pequity was fair pay and opportunity for all. And one of our early mentors, Frank Wagner, he is the VP of comp at Google. And something that he told Caitlin early on was compensation is directly going to contribute to obviously pay equity and gender gaps and race gaps and just general pay gaps. And where it's mostly going to happen actually is in your 500 to 5,000 person companies. Now, the reason being is that they're growing so fast. They have candidates coming in and asking for, you know, maybe out of range or out of budget comp packages. And it could be that these candidates are so incredible that, you know, they earn them, but these companies have to move faster. And so they go and they say, okay, I'll do that. And these one-off exceptions wind up trickling down to having a domino effect across their whole org and across the market. When you bring in somebody who's well over market rate, they eventually leave after maybe, you know, what's the average tenure at a tech company? 18 months. So they leave, they go to another company and they're expecting these really high salaries. They're going to these, you know, the Googles of the world, the Facebooks, or I guess Meta, the Amazons. And they go, hey, I was just getting paid a million dollars at this other company. I need you to match it. And then they go, okay, well, I guess that's what the market's driving. We'll have to do that. And before you know it, the market's unfair and there are pay gaps. And so that's why we really target the mid-market, small enterprise demographic. And the way we see it is that we see in three years, every single company using Pequity to pay their people and having a lens into pay equity, being completely compliant with all these new pay transparency laws, and even taking a step further to push pay transparency as far as they want to push it as a, as a company. So that's where we see it. You know, we have the team, we have the product, we have the momentum, and we just got to keep our heads down and keep delivering it. Nice. All about execution, it sounds like. It is always about execution. <laughs> always. Yeah. Unfortunately, we are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we wrap, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build out this company, where's the best place for them to go? I think, funny enough, I'm going to reference LinkedIn again. I think LinkedIn is the best place to follow us along. Um, you can check out pequity.com. That'll have all the latest on our products. And then definitely follow us on LinkedIn. You'll see what we're up to. We post a bunch of content and we share a lot of content on um, tips and tricks when it comes to, well, I guess not really tricks, just tips and things that you need to know when it comes to compensation. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat and share your vision. This is all super exciting and look forward to seeing you execute on this vision. Thanks so much, Brett. All right, keep in touch. 